All right, uh, Philippians chapter 3. You know, in all the prayers I prayed, I didn't pray for the message tonight. <laughs> so let's have a word of prayer over that. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us in the book of Philippians. We ask you to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to it. Will you have us to hear? You'll teach us. Will you show us? We'll be glorifying to you. And we could glorify you in our thoughts and our mind and what we learn. May we be able to apply it and not lose it once we walk away from it. Dear Heavenly Father, this, this section to me is one of those sections where if we don't get it, if we lose it and the enemy takes it away from us, we've lost a whole lot. And so, Heavenly Father, we bind him at every hand right now and we, we loose the power of your Holy Spirit here. And we would be free to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for that. And thank you for your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, yeah, 3-3 three, three is the place we'll start. It, we did make part of 3 last week, and, and it, but it's the beginning of a sentence. So it's kind of hard to uh, jump in the middle of a sentence and miss what the sentence is saying. So we started this where it says, We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That sentence is powerful. There are three pieces to it. One of them is we are the circumcision and that is the circumcised heart. Last week we talked about the circumcised flesh versus circumcised heart and how that distinction is drawn out and what God is trying to tell us there. But we worship God in the spirit or we worship in the Spirit of God, if you so choose. But we worship God in the Spirit. There's the three things as a circumcision of heart that we get. We worship God in the Spirit. We rejoice. Again, he says rejoice here. In Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. Those three things. Worship in Spirit. Rejoice in Jesus. And have no confidence in our flesh. Now, that doesn't mean we don't trust that if we get up and start walking, we can't trust our flesh, you know, to not work like that. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the rest of the sentence. <laughs> because he's about to tell us some stuff that really challenges the listeners in Philippi who were a faithful church and us who strive to be more faithful believers. And so what he says there is, I also might have confidence in the flesh. That's the half sentence right there. Though I might have confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul actually has the ability to have confidence in the flesh in, in terms of that world's standards. That world's standards where he was at in a Judeo-Roman world, which means it was, it was under Roman rule, but they let the Jews do what they wanted to do. And as long as they did, they didn't have any uprising and they paid Roman taxes. So they were okay. It was a peaceful situation. There were hardly any uprisings at that time. Uh, the uprisings came in about 30 years. <laughs> Not too far after this, when they burnt Jerusalem, tore it down. Um, matter of fact, I think it was about that time Masada occurred. Uh, it's a place where we went on our Israel trip that really powerful. But anyway, that's a different story. But uh, Paul is trying to say that 
he, he might have confidence in the flesh. And the fact of the matter is, if he were to say the rest of the story, and you may know this, he did have confidence in his flesh when he was persecuting Christians. Because as he's about to describe, he had every right, reason, sound, and ground. According to Scripture, according to oral tradition, according to the temple tradition, according to what he believed about God, he was doing the right thing. So he had confidence, but listen, in the flesh that he was doing the right thing. But he wasn't in the spirit. He was in the flesh. But we, what's it say? We what in the spirit? We worship in the spirit. In the flesh, you can't worship in the spirit. The Holy Spirit has to manifest spiritual worship through you. It's just one of those things. That you have to have the Holy Spirit to worship in the Spirit. You can't just go, well, I'm worshiping in the Spirit. I feel the presence here, God's Spirit. That's not worshiping in the Spirit. Worshiping in the Spirit has a lot more to it than that. And, and, and um, in John chapter 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria, He said, those who are of God worship in Spirit and in truth. Other places it tells us we worship in spirit and in truth. Paul worshipped in the truth he understood according to the flesh, which used tradition, man's understanding of the scriptures, and personal interpretation. So that's what he did. So he said, I might have confidence in the flesh, but the fact of the matter is, there should be no confidence in what your flesh does or has or possesses because it doesn't have merit in the long term of eternity. If you think, well, I'm all that because I can do this and I know this and I've done that, you're missing the whole scope of faith. Our flesh does not have value unless it is spirit infested and given over to Jesus then it has infinite value. So he says, I might have confidence in the flesh. I mean, I had good reason. And if anyone else thinks that he might have it, I, I have it more so. And so he's going to give us his litany of why he's confident in the flesh. But remember, as we've gone through this, that Paul is a parallel teacher so beautiful how he sets this up because he's going to talk about the confidence in the flesh and then in a verse or two he flips the script and says there is no confidence in the flesh there's only confidence in Jesus Christ he says I've got every reason to be confident and that's what he says and other people might think they do. Well, I have many more reasons. And he gives us this list. And, and the list is, is, if you go and break each one down, which I don't think we need to, but I can say a little about them, is that if you broke each one down, you would see why he had so much confidence. And the first one is, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now... <laughs> For us, we go, okay, you know, whatever. 
circumcised. You know, a lot of babies are circumcised. It's not what he said. According to the Jewish tradition and law, which had to be done for me to be kosher and, and law-abiding, my parents had to be law-abiding, they had to do this on the eighth day of my life. Now, here's what's funny. What part in that did Paul play? In his circumcision on his eighth day of life. What part in that did he play? He was the victim, right. What I'm saying is, he didn't do a whole lot, but because something was done to him as a baby, it put him in the same category as other people who had that done to them as a baby, and that made them think they were better because something was done to them. This Jewish thing here that he's talking about says, I have status as a Hebrew, as a Jew, as an Israeli, if you will, the tribe of God. And this circumcision on the eighth day, according to the law, made me proper even shortly after my birth. But he, that's the first thing. Then he says, of the stock of Israel... Oh my goodness. Ooh, how do we ever chew that one up and not come up ugly? <laughs> what part did Paul play in himself being the, the stock of Israel? He was born. Yeah. He was just born. He was born that way. I got confidence in my flesh <laughs> because I was circumcised and I was born this way. None of those were his choice. Yeah, so not, yeah, none of them were his choice. But this, according to some of those circles, gave him status. Because he was born that way. Because his parents did that for him. Or to him. Or whatever you want to say there. But he had status and none of it was about himself. None of that was, oh, I chose to be circumcised and be born in the stock of Israel, therefore I'm great. No, it happened that way. Which means those who didn't get that opportunity because they were born another way, or they were born female, or they weren't born with uh, the circumcision of the stock of Israel being a prescribed law, that didn't have that happen. Therefore, they're no good. That's not true. But that's what people would say in those circles. You're not circumcised, you're not welcome. Oh, you're not stock of Israel? You're not welcome. Paul's got both. He didn't even choose it. <laughs> oh, wait. What else did he get? Yeah, the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, he picked that, didn't he? I'm going to join your tribe. No, the tribe of Benjamin, he was a descendant. Who's your daddy, in other words? You didn't pick your daddy. God did. <laughs> Again... Again, confidence. In, this is all the things that they were saying made them godly people. No, that does not make you godly. But that's what they said. But it gets worse. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, how could you be? That'd be like saying an American of the Americans. But that's not what that says. A Hebrew of the Hebrews means he's stock of the Hebrew too. He's not just Hebrew by title. He's Hebrew by blood. He is what he says a Hebrew is. So he's all the way. 
I mean, I was born a Hebrew and I'm going to die a Hebrew because I'm a Hebrew all the way through. So, the, being a Hebrew gave him status. He's part of the clan of God. All the law applies to him. All the promises and blessings and descendants all apply to him. It's his because he's born that way. Again, confidence in the flesh, right? But now, here we go. Concerning the law, here's the first one, the Pharisee. It's the first one he has any choice whatsoever about. Now, at that time, you might remember, the Pharisees were the ones who were pretty hard on Jesus. And they were pretty much, uh, if you don't do it our way, it's the highway type people. They were the ones who made sure everybody did it God's way or no way. And they knew God's way, even if it wasn't God's way. The scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the ones who rewrote the law and said, this is what the, the lawyers, basically. Not lawyer like our lawyers, but kind of like them. Um, but as a Pharisee, they put expectations on other people. And for the most part, they didn't live up to them. But listen to this. Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee, right? A law, a Pharisee. But not only did he prescribe what the Pharisaic rules were, he lived them. He kept them. So not only did he talk it, he walked it. So his walk matched his talk. He was, he was consistent. Seriously. And concerning his zeal, he persecuted the church. Now, I, I've had a lot of debate in myself why that was a good thing to talk about <laughs> for him. Zeal. Man, I'm so passionate. I persecuted the church. I'm going, um, you're so stupid you persecuted the church. You're so hateful. You're so cruel. You didn't love Jesus. You persecuted the church. Maybe. But not zealous. But what he's saying is, I was so zealous for the temple and the way things were done that I persecuted the church because it was driving people away from the temple. You see that? He was trying to promote a way of living in life that was based on man's traditions and laws that they thought was truly according to God. And he believed in his heart of hearts. This is important for Paul. He believed in his heart of hearts that he was doing the right thing for God. He believed absolutely 100% was saying, I'm doing the right thing. There's no doubt in his mind that God was pleased with him. Why? Because concerning the righteousness, verse 6, some more of it, which is in the law, blameless. According to all these five books and their 600 and some laws, he kept them all. Blameless. I mean, he walked the walk. According to what law could make him free, he was under it, but he was persecuting Christians. But there'll be some in that circle in Jerusalem who would say, yeah, he should still be doing it too. Because now he's no longer persecuting Christians. He missed God. I don't know what he's got, but he doesn't have God. He calls this Jesus God, but that's not God because he thinks his church is a good thing. It's messing up the temple. There's still people who think he's doing the wrong thing because as far as the law blameless, that was an honorable statement. I've always kept the commandments. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? What did he say? 
when he came up to Jesus. Uh, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he told him, and he said, all these things I've kept. I've kept it. Yeah. And he wanted to hear Jesus say, well done. But Keep it up. Right? According to, according to flesh, blameless. But there's one thing you lack. And there's one thing Paul lacked. And we know what it was, don't we? It was love. Paul did it out of obedience, not out of love. He didn't love God. Didn't even know who he was. When Jesus came and shone his light down him, he didn't even know who he was. And he was love personified. They could tell you that. Love personified. He didn't know who love was. So that's what he missed. And uh, that's the kind of thing that happened in that rich young ruler. He said, one thing you lack, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. The man went away sad because he owned a lot. And a lot of people say, well, what he lacked was, uh, you know, humbleness or poorness. It's not what he lacked. It's not what he lacked at all. What he lacked was trusting anybody other than himself for his life. But he didn't trust God, he trusted himself. He didn't have faith. Do we have any record where he ever came back? Don't have any record. As a matter of fact, in, in that scripture, I think it's Mark where he says it. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And loved him even as he walked away. Jesus didn't win them all. But he loved all. He loved all. Even if they persecuted him and attacked him and beat him. He, was, he loved them. And that's hard for us to comprehend. But Paul has given us these things so far as... All the things that people will hear this story in, in, in the righteous, shall I say, self-righteous circles of that time and date, they'd be sitting around going, yeah, you know, yeah, here's the law, yeah, done that one, yeah, by you, you keep all the law, yeah, all right, well, well, let's see, well, which one of us knows God better? Well, uh, are you an Israelite? Yeah, okay, well, I am too. Um, what tribe are you from? Trying to figure out this pecking order, right, of who's better. Better than Better lineage, better knowledge, better obedience of the law. It's all about what we could do, right? And uh, they're having this conversation. And when one of the guys walks away from it, like Paul, he's going, nobody of those guys over there even keep it all like I do. I'm doing this for God and God's going to reward me because I'm doing the right thing. And this is his mindset. So he's rounding up Christians for murder. This is his mindset. Now, now get this. He lives and breathes to keep the law and to do the things that he believes God wants him to do. To protect the temple and the Pharisaic way of life. It's what he believes God wants him to do. And this is how, how he sees himself in the flesh. Because that's all he had. That was his full identity. Paul isn't like... I, I, gosh, I hate to use this person... But I, I, there's one thing I admire about, I'm not saying it's a good quality, but I admire it about Donald Trump. He's consistent. People aren't going to make him be something he's not. They're going to say, you need to do this. He's going he's to do what he wants to do. And he's not going to be apologetic about it. He's going to stay consistent with that. I mean, some of the stuff he does, I'm not a fan of. Some of it, I mean, whatever. But what I'm trying to say is, there's situations where I back down. Well, maybe you're right. 
and I've second-guessed myself. This guy doesn't second-guess himself. I admire that. Paul did not second-guess himself. He was like a ruthless Donald Trump going after Christians. I, I like Donald Trump's tenacity. I like that about him because our world needs a leader like that in this country who stand up to politicians and the junk and lobbyists. But need to say that doesn't belong in a sermon, but I'm just saying I like that. Not saying you have to like that or agree with me, but I like when someone doesn't be one thing this day and something else the next day. I want someone who's themselves in every situation. And you can't question that about that guy. And the Apostle Paul was that way. 100% straight. You never got something different from him. Not in his private life. Not in his public life. Not in his worship life. It was always the same direction. And this is what he says about that. Those things were my gain in my mind at that time. But those things I now count as a loss. Because they were fleshly confidence and they got me nothing with Christ. Those things I counted as my gain, I now count as loss for Jesus. Well, they were loss because they didn't get him Jesus. They didn't get him anything but social standings in certain circles. In other circles, <laughs> get out of here. He's a Roman citizen. We didn't talk about that. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that he didn't talk about that he was. But he says, these things, 100% this way, and all of a sudden, I turn my back and I'm a, a different person now. Who does that? Who goes 100% one way all the way and stops and turns around and goes the other way? Who does that? Someone that's met Jesus and knows he's right. Yeah, it, you, it's, you, you can't have two minds where you go this way all the time. And then that way another time and go, well, I'm just not in that mind anymore. It wasn't like that. He was no longer that person. That transformation was not instantaneous. He had to see the light. And then he had three years to learn about who he was in Jesus. And in that three years, he had to strip off all those things. It wasn't easy, I'm sure. He need that kind of worker. Just exactly the mm -hmm. same way, but run just as hard as for the devil he does for the Lord. You ever heard that phrase? That's right. I, you that, said it. That's right. I, <laughs> I, I, Philippians, I never would have touched it if you hadn't started this on Sunday night. Yeah. But I ain't trying to compare myself to Paul, but I see where he's coming from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going that way, and then I mean, now you're going I that way. You, you was a rock star for the Pharisees. You was a Roman. You was, you was, you gave up the dream. That's right. As high as it could be. No, just, and you, you, you met Jesus and, and, and came to the Lord and, and found a whole new dream. Yeah. And, you and, may be an outcast from you know, your old, you know, life. I love to see somebody like him and Paul and, now, I'm not brave, don't misunderstand me, but I was raised in a devout Christian home. And, you know, uh, I thought at one time that I had to have a knockdown salvation. I got it. 
because I prayed and prayed for it. But now I realize I didn't have to have that. I was raised in a Christian home, and I went down to that altar and gave my heart when I was 12 years old. But there came a time in my life when I thought I ought to have what Paul had. Well, I almost got what Paul had. I mean, God gave me. But I know now that I I was saved. I just wanted more, you know. You wanted something dramatic. Yes, and I got it. That doesn't mean everybody has to have that. Right. No. Uh, What's interesting, too, um, about Paul, and notice this, he said, and, and, and if you miss this, it's because I didn't point it out, or maybe you didn't see it. When he said, according to the law, righteousness according to the law, blameless. I said there are 610 laws, right? I said 600, so there's 610, right? Okay. That's one for every body part. It's one for every day of the year. That's how he remembered them. Now, 610. I don't know if it's walking on eggshells or not, but if you got 610 laws flowing through your mind and you know you've kept them all, that means you know them all. That means he knew the Old Testament down to the T, the first five books, the Torah. He knew them. God needed that man to use that to prove Christ. And he had him deeply entrenched in the Scripture because God had an intended end for him like he did for Job, which we talked about this morning, that he would be like this there in deep in the word of the Old Testament so that he could use that to write the new. And he quoted it extensively because he knew it, because he was zealous to know it, to be better than anybody else at it. (laughs) And God used that zeal, that arrogance, to turn Paul into a scripture writer of the New Testament, which Paul hated. That's great. I love that. That's why I love Paul's conversion so much. Because he was in no shape or form going to write the New Testament. He was getting ready to try and wipe the whole thing out. And if he would have not been converted, I believe he would have been successful. He was that kind of person. But the other Christians could tell non-Christians, I know where you're coming from, but not really. You know, Paul could. You know, it's like talking to an addict. You could tell an addict, oh, I feel your pain. Not really until you can tell the pipe in your hand. You know, you don't know where he's coming from till right. you've been in the truck with him. That's right. You know, and, and, and I mean, Paul knew it. You know what I'm saying? He could talk to his people and say, look, I met Jesus on the road. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. I know every rule you're following. I follow them all myself. Probably better than you. Yeah. But, you know. And that's what was awesome about the disciples when they were afraid of him. He said he wanted to meet with him. And they started glorifying God when this one who was persecuting them was now with them. And this had changed in the twinkling of an eye. He changed in the twinkling of an eye, but he had to learn yeah. over a period yeah. of time what that change meant. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, you got you that know, going you on. Know you want to, I want to be a part of this, but I've been 100% wrong on how to do it. I've got to relearn. From the basics, I need to start. And the way to do that is to be around the apostles. Like you know, you've got to be around the people that knew Jesus and knew what he was talking about. Preach it, brother. Well, that's I'm right. Just saying, you know, <laughs> that's right. what I love about this church. And that's why I'm here all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's right. that transition period. I don't feel I'm where I need to be. 
I don't think I'm ready to be. I'm trying to get there. But when you get to where you think you are good, then that's when you're not. That's right. (laughs) Right. So, so that's what he says. Now, um, we're going to stop there because beginning at verse eight, this thing goes into high gear. High gear. I'm talking. Pedal to the metal, he 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 launches this. And next Sunday, by the way, um, daylight savings time. When that happens, we move things to a different time. Board meeting is going to be at five. We'll do church at six. Hope folks get a little. I'm enjoying this. Really? Oh, I and I've heard this preached to me 